My Car Guru, Season 12, Episode 7. Hey folks, welcome to this edition of My Car Guru. You know, sometimes I get into a mood to talk about things that interest me more. And it may minimize um, the interest of people that may be listening to this broadcast. I apologize for that. However, I think that everybody has a car in their past that brings back memories. You know, when you think back to the vehicles that your grandparents had. I don't know about you, but uh, my grandfather was a, a an old country doctor in Nitro, West Virginia. You know, there's actually a town in West Virginia called Nitro. Guess what they made there during World War I? That's correct. Nitroglycerin. It was kind of the Oak Ridge of World War I. You know, Oak Ridge is where they did a lot of the work on the atomic bomb, and it was a, you know, it was just a little hole in the wall until the government decided to build a, a huge, well, several plants and basically build a city. Well, that's what they did with nitro. They decided to go in there and they built all this housing and stuff, and before they got it done, the war was over. So they ended up need, not needing it, but nitro turned into a, I guess you would call it a an industrial town, mostly chemical plants and stuff like that. But my grandfather was a Buick man. Was your grandfather a Buick man? Mine sure was. And they were all these big four-door Electra 225s with big padded seats and stuff. He drove those consistently from the uh, late 50s or early 50s all the way up until he passed away. And so um, I have good memories about that. You know, one of the memories I have is that they didn't care much for seat belts for kids because I, I remember riding around in his big Buick sitting on the uh, fold-down armrest. And I guess the the seat belt was his right arm. So you know what I'm talking about. But everybody has a car from the past. It, it could have been something that, that your parents drove or your grandparents or something that you drove. Maybe your first car. My first car was a Vega GT. Not much of a first car. Boy, I thought I was in hog heaven, though, when I got that car. And it was fun to drive, and, you know, as a 16-year-old, as a that was quite a thrill. My dad was a Chevy dealer, and I guess he didn't want to spoil me much, so he gave me the worst thing that we sell, the Vega. But, you know, it was a good-looking car. I always thought it looked way better than the Pinto. So I have great memories. I wouldn't mind having a Vega. You know what the problem is? They're all rusted they're gone. They're dust. I don't know anybody. You know, I, I go to a lot of car shows, and I see a lot of things for sale, and I never see a Vega for sale. They had one special edition car called the Cosworth Vega. Now, I wouldn't mind having one of those. It had a special engine built by a company in England called Cosworth, or at least the head was built by Cosworth. I think the, the uh, actual block on the engine was just a regular Vega block. But it had dual overhead cams and uh, four valves per cylinder and boosted the horsepower, I think, from 90 horsepower to 125. Not much. You know, we sell four-cylinder engines today and Mustangs that have about 320 horsepower. So they've come a long way. But, you know, a lot of people look at, at antique cars just with a lot of nostalgia, and, and as I do. But, you know, there might be some of you out there that are interested in maybe rekindling that fire 
that burned in you when you were a kid to have that old car, uh, to find another one just like it. I mean, I'm fine. I'm searching for cars all the time. I, I'm either on Bring a Trailer or Facebook Marketplace, or uh, sometimes I will go to uh, a lot of other websites that are out there that, that are selling cars. I really feel better about uh, Bring a Trailer than just about anything else. Cars are high there, but you can really get a good feel for what cars are bringing. But one of the things I want to talk about today are basically the cars that Haggerty, which is the the largest uh, vintage car insurance company, and they provide valuations and they sponsor the the con, a lot of concours that they have around the country. Big company, and so they have picked, let's see, ten vehicles that they say are great bull market vehicles. These are the vehicles that they see are going to appreciate the most. And one of the reasons for that is they're getting the highest amount of interest from younger people, Generation X, Y, and even those Zers. So we'll get into that. I'll tell you what their picks are for the, the top 10 vehicles that will appreciate the most. You know, nothing that I own was on this list. You know, some of the vehicles that I have been really fired up about over the years are starting to level off. Uh, vintage Ford Broncos, they went nuts for a long time, and now they're starting to level off. Ford Mustangs are, if they're just basic cars, if they're really rare, like uh, K-Code uh, high-performance engines and Shelbys and stuff like that, then they're going to keep going up. Porsches are going to keep going up. But let me give you this list and see what you think about it, and we'll start that right after this break. I may have said mistakenly, that some of these cars are obtainable. I guess they're obtainable if you have the wherewithal, like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars of free cash flow. Uh, that's what you what you would need for this first one, the Lamborghini Countach, 25th anniversary. Condition number one cars are uh, bringing around 770000 That's an average, I guess. Uh, condition four, which would be cars that are just Pretty beat up, but still drivable. Still $345,000. So what's happened with the Countach? Well, about 69% of young people are interested in that car. So that's going to be a driver for values. Um, a lot of those young people can't afford it, but there are some young people, especially Generation Xers, that can afford it. Um, you know, there are some... You know, th this car really changed the way people look at supercars. I mean, Ferrari was building really beautiful cars, and they, definitely for the wealthy. But Lamborghini uh, decided to come out with this car with scissor doors and just a wicked look. I mean, just uh, something that nobody had ever really seen before. The uh, rappers and, and movie stars and people like that really started snapping them up. I mean, when they were new, this final edition, 25th anniversary, came out in 89, and it was 225000 So I don't know exactly what that would be in today's dollars, but it would be a significant increase, I'm sure. Another car that Haggerty says will have tremendous appreciation is a 46 through 1950 Chrysler Town & Country. Now, when most of you think Chrysler Town & Country, you're thinking minivan. Well, this was when the, the Chrysler Town & Country was not a minivan. This particular one was a woody, which means that it had wood, not fake wood, but real wood 
down the sides and over the, the top of the trunk. I mean, it's a beautiful car, and it also was a convertible. Uh, these cars are fantastic cruiser cars. Uh, the average value, according to Haggerty right now, is $81,400. Um, but they anticipate that the appreciation of this car is going to go up 33% in 2023. So that's a pretty significant <laughs> return on investment, if you can find one in uh, top condition. Another car that they pick is the 2007 through 2013 BMW M3. Uh, condition one car would be somewhere around 65,000. Uh, condition four car, which is just a driver, pretty beat up, 29,000. The M edition BMWs are their performance edition cars. It's kind of like for Mercedes-Benz, they call their performance vehicles AMG. But any kind, anytime you see a BMW and it's called an M3 or an M5 or an M6, that's their higher horsepower, better handling, uh, top performance version of that particular model. I mean, I love BMWs. I've always have. I, the, the recent models that are really, um, they got so much, well, they look like everything else. And they've got so much technology on them that I've kind of lost interest in them. I like the older BMWs better. Average value for this particular car is about $51,600. They anticipate that the value of this vehicle in the next year will go up 34%. Pretty good. Uh, they also say that the interest in this vehicle of young people, nearly 9 out of 10 people calling about the car to Haggerty and showing interest in it, are Gen X or younger. Uh, that's uh, a lot of interest, and that's one of the reasons for the appreciation. This next car was, you know, Jaguar was in trouble. In, in 1989, uh, the Ford Motor Company purchased Jaguar and began trying to turn the company around and take advantage of their storied name. So they laid plans out to redesign uh, some of their most popular models, the XJ sedan and the XJS. Uh, you know, these cars were known as country club cars. Um, they were known in the wider culture, however, as being very unreliable. Uh, lots of electrical problems and quality issues. So Ford set out to fix that. And what Jaguar did is, is or what Ford did is designed a new Jaguar called the XKR. It's a convertible two-door it really looks, as far as the front end is concerned, it reminds you of the, the E-type Jaguar from the 60s and early 70s. But these cars are anticipated. Uh, it's anticipated they're going to go up in value, and they're not real expensive now. This is the kind of car that you can get into. Uh, the average value is about 26700 They anticipate a 19% increase in overall value just in the next year. Now, a word of caution about these cars is that you never buy something like this sight unseen. I mean, you have to go see the car. You have to drive it. You have to make sure that it has no lights on, that it has no real body damage. I mean, the cars that are going to appreciate and value are the ones that are all original. They've not had anything done. They've never been painted. You know, the seats are in great shape. Uh, they have detailed uh, history records, you know, as far as maintenance and that is concerned. You know, those are the cars that are going to appreciate. I mean, if you buy one that is a really rag, ragged out, maybe with 200,000 miles on it stuff, then that car is really, okay, I mean, you might be able to buy it real cheaply, but you're going to have to spend a, month, a lot of money to restore it, and it will cost more to restore the car 
than than it would be worth when you got done. So you got to avoid that. Let's see what's next. You know, this one kind of surprised me. 1965 through 1970, Chevrolet Impala SS. Uh, if it's an SS, it's a Chevrolet, that means that's their performance version. Now, the problem you get into on a lot of these old cars, I mean, if it's an SS, a legitimate SS, then it's you know worth 30 40% more than just a regular car, just a regular Impala, maybe even more than that. Um, but there are a lot of fake SSs out there. I mean, it looks good, you know, to take the SS emblem and slap it on there. Sometimes people do that. They just change the labels because they like the way it looks. I've seen a lot of people put a high-performance uh, 289 sticker on the side of a Mustang when it's not. You know, they just, they like the way that looks. They may have upgraded the engine or something, but if it wasn't, if the uh, uh, digit in the, the VIN number isn't a K, then that Mustang was not built with a high-performance engine. So, you know, when you're shopping for an SS, whether it be a Chevelle or a Camaro or an Impala like this one, you got to be real real careful. Uh, the average value for a two-door uh, Impala SS in, in that uh, time frame, I'm looking at a 69 model right here, average value is about $30,100. That surprises me. I, that's much higher than I thought it would be. They're anticipated they'll go up 8% this year. But there's a lot of interest from young people. Um, 73% of the people that uh, call into Haggerty are from Gen X or younger. So they're definitely interested in this car. Uh, that is very surprising. Uh, 1981 through 1986, Jeep CJ8. Everybody's heard of a CJ7, but I don't know how many of you have heard of a CJ8. It was also called the Scrambler. It was a, well, just an extended link that had a, kind of a bed on it, but it also had a seat back there. It was just longer and had a different look, longer wheelbase. Uh, they're bringing big money, especially if they're original. Condition 1 vehicles are worth anywhere from 52, well, 52, 6. Uh, condition 4 vehicles, the Junkers, even them, worth about $16,000. Uh, by the numbers, average value, 41400 Anticipation of 101% appreciation in the next year alone because there's a lot of interest from young folks on these. So Jeep Scrambler, if you find one, that would be a good one. You know, 1964 through 1966 Thunderbird, I think these are such cool-looking cars. We've got a customer at Gateway that brings his in occasionally to have it just serviced. I don't think they drive it very much. They change the oil in it, whether they drive it or not, about every six months. Really interesting body style. Appreciation of these cars is significant. And if you looked at it, you could probably tell why. The taillights go all the way across the back. It has a tonneau cover that, that comes down behind the uh, the driver and the passenger that looks really cool. And when you're sitting at, at in the, the uh, uh, driver's seat and look at the dash, you would think you're in an airplane. I mean, it has levers that look like you could, you know, that's how you lower the landing gear. It is just a really cool looking vehicle. By the numbers, it's not going to go up in value that much. They're already pretty high. Average value is about 41000 anticipating about a 6% increase in value and still a lot of interest from young people. So, you know, that's what's really driving these prices. That's for sure. Remember the, the uh, Plymouth Prowler? This was a factory-built hot rod. It had exposed front wheels, 
and uh, all of the steering mechanisms and, and control arms were were visible. It had kind of an odd-looking bumper, but they had to meet the, the specifications of the government for impact safety. Other than that, really cool-looking vehicle. Uh, condition 1, uh, worth about 45 Condition 4, I don't know where you'd find a Condition 4 Prowler anywhere, but maybe one that had a lot of miles on it. Somebody really enjoyed driving it. Might be able to find one for around 15000 Anticipation of value is pretty flat, uh, but it is a vehicle that has a lot of interest from uh, enthusiasts and young people, so you could see some appreciation of that particular vehicle. They are cool looking, there's no doubt about it. The last vehicle I'll talk about is one you probably never heard of. You've heard of Mitsubishi but you've never heard of a Pajero Evolution. This is a Japanese market-only vehicle. Well, how do they get to the United States? Well, people are importing them like crazy. A lot of the old Datsuns, of course, they called them, when they were calling them Datsuns in the United States, they were calling them Nissans in Japan. And, and finally, Nissan said, because the name of the company is Nissan. And finally, they said, okay, let's stop calling them Datsuns. So they changed the name to Nissan. Uh, a lot of Nissans, uh, Nissan Skylines, a lot of their small trucks, a lot of the things that were never imported to the United States are coming from Japan. The only thing you have to deal with there is the fact that they're all right-hand drive. But we're also seeing a lot of vehicles imported from South America right now. So if you're looking at a Toyota FJ40, you know, maybe something from the early 70s up through 78, uh, you may think that the thing was sold originally in the United States, but it's very possible that it was sold originally in South America. Is that a bad thing? Well, not really. You know, as long as it's restored properly, they're basically the same vehicles. They might have had some different emission controls and stuff like that on them. A lot of the ones that come out of South America, though, are diesel. And you may not want to get into that. You really do need to be careful about buying anything that has been imported to the United States, especially if you live in states that do um, smog testing. If you know they're over the 25 years old, then you don't have to worry about that. But uh, you know you do, you do need to uh, consider and do a little research to find out whether or not the the long term value of that vehicle will be affected by the fact that it came from Japan or came from South America. One of the things we're seeing vehicles from Japan, other than the fact that the right hand drive. They're appreciating at a very high rate. Um, cars from vehicles from South America are mostly going to be off-road vehicles, off-road trucks and SUVs like the FJ40. And they are going to, uh, they're relatively flat and really going down in value compared to what they were just uh, five years ago. I mean, I remember when FJ40s that were really nicely restored, I mean, almost to Concord condition, were bringing over $100,000. I mean, you're talking about a vehicle that sold new for, maybe four or $5,000. I bought one for $17,000, restored it, um, was able to get it restored for around $40,000, $45,000, ended up getting $75,000 for it. But when I started that project, they were still bringing hundred. So I was quite disappointed in the end result. I didn't make as much as I thought I was going to, but at least I was able to get out and you know, that's one of the most important things when you get into a, a vintage vehicle. What's your ex exit strategy? Well, first, how are you going to use it? Is it just going to be something to, to put in your garage and, and never driven, you know, end up having a bunch of boxes stacked on top of it? You know, really think about, visualize how you're going to use this vehicle. Do you really want to go to car shows? Are you really going to drive the car? 
or is it just something you're going to pay insurance on and leave in the garage and not drive it? Because that is the worst thing you can possibly do to a vintage car. So really think about why you want it first before you lay out the money. And then, uh, you know, understand about values and what's going to happen to it in the long term. I can help you with that. Just call me, 423-552-2020, and I'll be back here in just a minute. You know, I don't have a crystal ball. I know you're disappointed about values of vehicles. I do follow market trends, and I see what's going on, and I I see a lot of people make mistakes. I had an example of a customer who bought a 1970 Bronco. and Well, his father bought the Bronco, and over about a seven-year period, worked on it, paid other people to, to work on it, got a lot of money invested in it, and it's not even one-tenth of the way done. So I ended up, after his father passed away, I ended up buying the vehicle, and now I have, I'm either going to finish it or I'm going to sell it as a project. More than likely, since I'm not real motivated to do another Bronco, it just doesn't make sense, and the market has really flattened and gone down some, I'm probably just going to sell it like it is. So if you know anybody wanting a 1970 Bronco and wants a project, I've got a completely rebuilt engine. I've got a modern five-speed transmission for it and the original transmission. The body is good. Uh, it just needs to be rewired and uh, put wheels and tires on it, and you'll be ready to go. So call me, 423-552-2020. If you have any questions, you can also send me an email to LennyLawson2020 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.